Blame it on Satan. During the 80s and 90s, that was the reasoning applied to so many murders, whether the evidence was rock solid or shaky at best. Satanic rituals are real. The murders are real. But trusting that Satan was the real reason behind every crime he's been blamed for, that's where the suspicion comes in. Just look at the West Memphis Three case. Three men accused of murder by a system that had satanic panic on the brain. It makes you wonder, is the devil an easy way to a conviction? Is Satan just an excuse for these killers to use? This countdown, especially number one, will have you questioning everything. Hey all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode we're counting down the top 10 suspicious occult crimes. We have covered on Morbid so many cases where there's, <laughs> like it seems like it happens like once a week where there was either a presumed satanic element or just a blatant ploy by the killer to take some blame off of themselves. One hundred percent. And of course, I immediately think of the West Memphis Three because it's just I'm like super passionate about that case, but it's the one that's so blatant. It really is. Yeah. I always think of the like satanic thing that happened in Fall River, yes, like the Fall River the case. And like usually when I think of satanic panic, that's the first thing that comes to mind because it's so wild to me that that happened so close to us. Oh, yeah. Because I think it's probably one of the few cases that where something like actually did have a real element of Satan involved. There was at least some loose tendrils to Satan there. Yeah, you know. But yeah, I think a lot of times it's really just an excuse for brutality basically. Mm -hmm. Because if you blame Satan, then these killers truly believe that their violence can be, you know, explained or excused in some way, because now it's not an evil, it's an evil force outside of you. It's not the evil just in yourself. You're like, you're evil. You're just evil. Satan, the OG scapegoat. (laughs) Always. I know. Well, I have number one, and it's a case that you might have maybe heard on this little show called Morbid. Ooh. It is dark, it is twisted, and it is downright gruesome. I think that's Satan's Twitter bio, actually. (laughs) I think you're right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it sounds familiar. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Well, Elena has five suspicious occult crimes, and so do I. But neither of us knows what the other person is bringing to the countdown. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Ten. I'll start us off with number 10, the death of Jeanette De Palma. Jeanette went missing from Springfield, New Jersey in August 1972. 
Her body was found six weeks later at a local quarry after a dog carried one of her arms to a nearby apartment complex. Police issued contradicting reports and excuses in terms of the details of the crime scene and whether it pointed to an occult killing. Maybe they were worried about actually admitting it was, or maybe they didn't want to scare the public. My Central Jersey News quotes medical examiner Dr. Bernard Ehrenberg, who reported Jeanette was found in the quarry, quote, lying face down with a rock formation surrounding the body. Finding that would be so, first of all, like terrifying and just yeah. bizarre. It would just be like very curious. Like what? <laughs> and I can understand why as soon as you see this, you'd be like, Satan, Satan obviously, because it seems very ritualistic. For sure. Tests of all kinds were conducted on her body, but no cause of death could be determined, which is wild. That is. Her death also happened during the societal shift where the hippie movement was ending and some people were turning more to religion, aka the Jesus movement. AKA the exact opposite of what we're doing right now. But here's the thing. So because that's happening right in this time, could that Jesus movement that was happening kind of affected what the police were making public at the time? Yes. Right? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Without a doubt. I think maybe they were just trying to hold it back because they knew what the, the temperature of everything was the at the time. The social climate, exactly. if, if you will. Reports started coming out about Jeanette's death being about black witchcraft or a satanic ritual, of course. Ugh. There was a mention of wood being shaped like a cross on the ground above her head, and there was wood around her body like a coffin. Oh, that's interesting. It's very... There's a lot of weird stuff with this. There definitely is. There was even a report that law enforcement may have brought a witch to the crime scene. Which now it's like, what is happening? I also feel like that's just like when rumor starts to fly around and people yeah. are like, did you hear what that actually... My dad's working on that case and mm -hmm. he said like... It's like the snowball just keeps getting bigger and it's bigger. It's like a horrible game of telephone. One of the Springfield police officers who were first on the scene thinks the satanic connection was a misunderstanding based on off-the-cuff comments the day they found Jeanette's body, which is really possible. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm sure people who came across this scene we're like, wow, is this like a satanic ritual? Like when you see all that stuff, you'd probably be like, whoa. Right. It could have just been offhanded comments that just got blown just up. Just sparked. The website Weird New Jersey received a letter drawing attention to this case back in 1997. But since it was pre-Google days when they got the letter, they initially had trouble verifying the story. Pre-Google days? Pre-Google days. Whoa. 1997. They began their own investigation, but were met with resistance from police. Shocking. Hmm. Crazy. Ever heard of that? No. There were years-long delays in getting info. At one point, because the police said the files and evidence were, huh, destroyed by a flood. I guarantee you that was not the case. Hey, you know what? That wasn't true. So you are, <laughs> you are very right. Finally, February 2021... Police released case files, including crime scene photos, and the photos revealed two major things. The sticks or pieces of wood forming a cross and, you know, the coffin shape, and rocks surrounding her head like a crown, they're nowhere to be seen. Okay, I almost said to you nowhere. when you were talking about that, I was like, is that confirmed or not? Because yeah. I guess not. So it wasn't even like people came to this scene and were like, wow, what weird formation. It wasn't even people there. People just like pulled that out of their booty. This was just made up. And some police theorized that Jeanette OD'd since this was a known party spot. Oh. But the pic showed the complete opposite of a party spot. It's an overgrown, basically undisturbed, wooded-looking area. Weird. But people do party in the woods. They do. That's the thing. And you know what? What's weird about this is we there's, like, no cause of death. Yeah. So that's what makes it hard. But if she OD'd, they would have been able to see that, I would think. Right? I would think so, but I don't know. This one's like a real head scratcher. It is. But I don't think it's satanic. I don't think it's satanic I'm going to go on the record and say I don't think this one's satanic. I think this town just started to wild out. Nine. At number nine is security guard turned killer, Stephen Blake Crawford. Crawford called police around 5.40 in the morning on October 13, 1974, to report a body he found in Stanford Memorial Church on Stanford University's campus. The condition, position, and location of the body right away screamed, Satanic killing! 
but it would take over 40 years for investigators to realize Crawford was actually the killer, and it's possible he was just trying to pin the blame on the occult. When Stephen Crawford called police, he allegedly said, hey, we've got a stiff here. Like, wow. What a horrific way to report a murder. I feel like no matter what I hear it, like, hey, we got a stiff here. Like, yeah. I feel like no matter, even if he like had like a British accent, I don't hear it that way. <laughs> no. Like, that's just like such an aggressive thing to say. It just sounds yucky. I also feel like he should have just like gone over there and waved a red flag in their face. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. The victim was 19 year old Arliss Perry, who was positioned near the altar in the church naked below the waist. Wow. Gruesome detail warning. She had been stabbed in the head with an ice pick with altar candles in and on her body. (gasps) Yes, very, very gruesome. I don't even know what to say about that. Yeah, me either. Now, one retired captain with the Stanford Department of Public Safety is quoted in an interview saying, quote, I had a few homicides in my day, but I had never seen anything so eerie. Yeah, I mean, the altar candles and stuff, it just brings it to a whole, a a whole whole different different level. level. Yeah. And to add, that even makes the 911 call weirder because if you yeah. saw that, you'd be like, um, I don't know what's going on over here. And like, you'd be like so panicked, I would think. Because I immediately, when you think of somebody, call, I mean, I don't think of anyone calling and being like, hey, we got to stiff you. No, of but course not. When I do think of that, I think of like somebody like just lying in a bush somewhere or something. Right. Like not in the middle of a church with like church altars stabbed into her. Like, yeah, no. I feel like that's. That's a very casual reaction to a very fantastically scary crime scene. Yeah, like jarring to say the least. Yeah. Now, this is really sad. Arliss Perry went to the church after getting in a fight with her husband. And unfortunately, that's when she ran into the church's disturbed security guard. Oh, that's terrible. But DNA finally connected Stephen Crawford to the crime in 2018. But when police went to arrest him, the now elderly Crawford took his own life. Come on. Yep. At some point during the investigation, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, actually mentioned this killing to the authorities, and he suggested it was at the hands of a satanic cult. Coming from the chubby behemoth himself. Yeah, he knows all, I guess. He does. And they looked into his claim, but obviously nothing came of it, because that was not the truth. There were other murders that could have possibly been committed by Crawford, but they didn't have satanic elements to them. And this was all during a popular time for Satanism, so Crawford could have just been trying to throw the police off his track, either by making Arliss Perry's death look satanic, or the others not look like ritual killings. Yeah, I think he was just blaming it. I think nine times out of ten we're going to find that these are all just, I want to blame it on Satan. I think like maybe ten times out of yeah, ten. I'm knows? willing to go on the record. Who knows if we'll have one that maybe you're like, all right, all right, yes, but uh, I don't think so. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of suspicious occult crimes is Leroy Carter Jr. Golden Gate Park in San Francisco was the scene of the crime in February 1981. The body of a headless man was found with a dead chicken nearby. The victim was 29-year-old Leroy Carter Jr. His death was not only brutal, disturbing, and strange, A religion expert predicted a very bizarre twist in the case. Carter was found wrapped in a sleeping bag, head missing, with a chicken wing and two kernels of corn in his neck where the head was missing. Remember when I said like 10 out of 10 times I think that this won't be satanic? I take that back. Maybe 9 out of 10. A slaughtered chicken was found about 50 yards away from Carter's body. Oh, wow. This is a lot. This is a really intense one. And it's only number eight, so... Oh, man. (laughs) Police say Carter had a petty criminal past, but nothing that pointed to someone targeting him for murder or ritualistic sacrifice, as this clearly seemed to be. Uh, yes, it definitely did. All the way over here, it seems like that. The investigator in charge had experience with religious extremists. She had helped with the local investigations after the Jonestown massacre a few years earlier. So I would say she has a good handle on this stuff. I would say so. So she also knew a coroner who was an expert on Santeria, a West African traditional religion that often utilizes chickens. The coroner made a prediction. The severed head would be returned to the scene of the crime 42 days after the murder. That is how the ritual would be complete. 
That's very specific. That is very specific. 42 days. But sometimes like things like that really, they are specific. They, well, you have to be specific if you're doing a ritual, I suppose. Yeah. The other investigators laughed at the entire idea. Because why believe something you don't understand, you know? Educate might, yourself. Might as well just laugh at it. Yeah, totally. 42 days later, guess what happened on March 22nd, 1981? Uh, the head was returned. Leroy Carter Jr.'s head was returned. I, what, that's like wild. Isn't though. that crazy? Can you imagine? No. Them being no. like 42 days. I, I'm telling you. And then it happens. No. Like what? His murder, however, remains unsolved. Uh, come on. I thought that we were really going to get somewhere here. Yeah. And that's so also I'm like, okay, so the coroner says in 42 days, someone's going to come back to the crime scene and bring his head. You all laugh at this coroner. That happens. No one was like on like surveillance it there. Out. Or, right. Even if you don't believe it, you might as well just go there 42 days later and stake it out. Why I not? I would also think that that line of work would like provide you with a lot of things that you couldn't believe, but that probably came true. Seriously, and if a coroner is telling you this, they know a lot of weird stuff. I'm telling you. Well, and just trust them on it. This person knew about this specific kind religion. of ritual so and of religion. They're they're telling they're not telling you it for any other reason but to yeah, help. She didn't just like what are they pull gonna, that out of the air? And what are they going to get out of it by being wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. Now, it was 1981. So I'm sure there wasn't a police budget for camera surveillance of the whole area, but someone should have been there. Yeah. 40 days. Uh, it out. Somewhere around that 42 day mark, you should have a few different shifts, at least trekking around there for a little 100%. while. 100%. Now, you have to wonder what the investigators who laughed were thinking after all that. That's what I want to know. Yeah. Maybe they became more open-minded after this you know maybe i would hope so maybe if you could become more open-minded maybe you'll solve a crime i don't know perhaps one maybe. might say open your mind free your mind and the rest will follow seven at number seven this week is the murder of benny evangelista Benny arrived in America from Italy in 1904 and soon dropped the A from the end of his last name, making it just Evangelist, which we can all agree is a clear precursor to the fact that two years later, he claimed God had spoken to him. So Benny soon became a self-proclaimed healer who happened to love the occult. But it seems like Benny's turn as a prophet for a prophet may have also gotten him murdered. Uh-oh. Yeah, one might say that to being murdered. <laughs> yeah. Benny and his family were living in Detroit, Michigan, when he said God called on him for a mission. We do hear this story a lot with like false prophets and cult leaders. But the fun twist was, Benny wrote his own Bible entitled The Oldest History of the World, Discovery by Occult Science. And he built a spiritual sanctuary in his basement. He's really going for it. For $10, he would take people into the basement who wanted a healing performed. No, thank you. That's like a fair price. Yeah, but no, thank you. But as you'd expect it, it didn't always work and people were not happy. That's Crazy, right? Could knock me over with a feather. <laughs> That's nuts. <laughs> and then tragedy struck. On July 3rd, 1929, Benny, his wife, and four young kids were murdered with an axe in their home. That's horrific. Benny was beheaded. Oh. Police found no money in the house, so they believed money was the motivation behind the killings. In weird fact, the morning the bodies were discovered, a truck driver that was scheduled to do a pickup at Benny's house just never showed up and never canceled. Huh. It's really weird, right? Yeah. So theory number one, a random crook broke into the house to rob it. Yeah. Doubt it. No. Theory number two, someone knew they kept money in the house and went there specifically for it. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that <laughs> Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Theory number three, maybe a rival religious leader wanted to take Benny out. Scandalous, perhaps. A little far-fetched. I don't know. The case remains unsolved and is still one of Detroit's most gruesome crimes. 
The house has since been torn down, but reports of supernatural activity have popped up from where it once stood, including screams being heard and sightings of a headless man. That's horrifying in every way that one can be horrifying. You're just walking down the street no. and you hear screaming and you look that way and then you see a headless man. Yeah. And no. then you run. No. And you get your cardio in for the night. Yeah. You reevaluate everything is then what you do. You never, you change your running route. That's a horrifying one. That one, and it's sad, True. too, yeah, the because whole family. it's like his children and his wife. Yeah, no, that's terrible. Six. Also on our list at number six is the Fall River Cults. <gasps> I didn't even know you were going to have that. We're from Massachusetts. In the late 70s, early 80s, America was smack in the middle of the so-called satanic panic, which is when crimes were often being blamed on the occult, whether true or not. In Fall River, Massachusetts, the bodies of three young sex workers were found between October 1979 and April 1980, and they were quickly labeled as ritual killings. But were they? The argument could be made the murders were the tragic result of a turf war over the local sex work business. Fall River, Massachusetts was tragically made famous by the Lizzie Borden murders in 1892. Yeah, you might have heard of them. Maybe. (laughs) Almost 90 years after Lizzie Borden, the town was back in the headlines with the murder of three women, sex workers, that started in October 1979. That's when the body of 17-year-old Doreen Levesque was found under the local high school bleachers. That is, in and of itself, so gruesome. So gruesome. The second murder, 19-year-old Barbara Raposa, happened that November, though her body wouldn't be found until January. Which is awful. And the third victim, Karen Marsden, was discovered in April 1980. Police found parts of Marsden's skull and other remains, but most of her body has never been found which is really horrifying to think about. It's also such a quick span of time. Yes, it's just boom, boom, boom. Now, immediately two suspects popped up, Carl Drew and Robin Murphy, rivals who ran the sex worker business in town. They both went on trial for the murders. At the trial for Karen Marsden's murder, Robin Murphy turned state's evidence for a lesser charge and testified that Carl Drew forced her to help sacrifice Karen Marsden to the devil. This was wild when this happened. It was like, I could imagine. The flip was nuts. Both went to prison, despite, as Rolling Stone reports, quote, a lack of physical evidence linking them to the crime, a timeline that doesn't add up, and multiple witnesses later admitting their testimonies had been false. You don't say. You don't say. A documentary on the murders, where the two convicted killers are interviewed, alludes to their innocence. Now, here's some questions that need to be considered in this case. Do we think that the the police use satanic panic as like that foolproof, we're going to get a conviction because as long as we say it was ritualistic murder and these two are weird and we mm-hmm. can put it on them? I definitely think that had something to do with it. Yeah, because unfortunately it was just the perfect timing for them to use that claim. That's and it, It's just an easy, we can shut this case. Right, exactly. Like case closed. And since it, at the time that was the temperature mm-hmm. out there you, you walk out, you you lick your finger and put it out and you're like, oh yes, satanic panic. We can we can use that. <laughs> no, it's true. Yes, it's in the air. So I think that's what it was. And then also do we even, at this point it's like, do we know if Carl Drew and Robin Murphy are murderers? Or are they just horrible people who continue to lie about it? Mm. We don't know. I know. That's the thing, because there's not a lot of physical evidence, but when you we covered this case on Morbid. We did. It was a while back. There is, it makes you think that Carl Drew and Robin Murphy definitely have something to do with it, but yeah. we don't know. I mean, they're in prison for it, so. I think if I were on the jury, it would be enough for me to say, like, it would be enough for me to say yes, so that I then I would just be confused. Yeah, exactly. I think if I was on the jury, I'd be confused. I, I'm still confused, but I think the whole thing is horrible. Yeah, it's just like really sad. You know what? I'm glad that the Fall River cult was on here because that's the fir- one of the first ones after West Memphis 3 that pops in Oh, my yeah. Mind. That's what I was talking about yeah. in, the, in the intro to As this. soon as you said it, I was like, whoop. You're like, LOL, <laughs> I have this one. There's still a couple that I'm looking out for, though. Yeah, there's definitely a couple that I'm waiting for. But there's also a cut co- like Benny Evangelist. I had never heard of that. I had no idea it was that intense. I had heard no. that name. I didn't know the full story behind it. 
but there's some really brutal ones so far. And Leroy Carter Jr.? That's yeah. nuts. All of them so far have like been super heavy. Where are we going from here is what I need to know. Turn all the lights down now. Let's do it. Hello, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we're the hosts of the new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. You may know us from the very creepy and excellent podcast Red Handed, but now we've teamed up with Parcast for an unprecedented look at history's most nefarious groups. Some preach extreme religious practices, others warn of impending doom, and then there are those whose endgame is far more diabolical. Every Tuesday on Sinister Societies, we take a peek behind the curtain and discover the most ominous organizations the world may or may not have known. Learn how entrepreneurial sects made fortunes off their brand, how charismatic cult leaders caught the eye of celebrities, and why strange orders of the extraterrestrial or collegiate kind attract the most unlikely of followers. Some groups convene in the shadows, others operate in plain sight, All are absolutely sinister. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of suspicious occult crimes. Starting off, the second half of our list is Moises Miraz Espinosa. February 2nd, 2011, this is the day Miraz Espinoza decided to brutally kill his mother. It also happened to be the date on the satanic calendar that called for ritual human or animal sacrifice, according to the LA Times. Miraz Espinoza's lawyer said his client was not following satanic beliefs, but the details of the crime make that questionable. In 2011, Moraz Espinoza actually went to the police station and turned himself in, admitting what he did. That's a rarity. It is a rarity. We don't see that often. And when we do, it's like, what's your end game? I know, especially <laughs> like that? for for murder. Like for murder. Whoa. Yeah. When the police arrived at the then 18-year-old's apartment in Maywood, California, they were greeted by a gruesome scene. Moraz Espinoza had strangled his mother, then covered the walls and floor with plastic. He used power tools to dismember her in extreme ways, including removing her teeth, eyes, and skin. What? This is like really dark, just so everybody knows. I was going to say that reminded me of Dexter with the plastic, but then it got like... Then it got like way worse than that. Um, His mother's internal organs were also never found. And removal of organs or body parts is something we see a lot in ritual killings. Where did he put them? I don't know, because they were never found. We gotta find them. Just like maybe black market? That's concerning. I don't know. I don't like that. Well, the deputy district attorney who prosecuted the case told the LA Times this was sheerly motivated by evil. Yup. Which I'm like, duh. Yeah. But as we mentioned before, his lawyer said that it wasn't satanic. Okay, he's just evil. Yeah, exactly. Okay, lawyer. Okay, Esquire, I I buy it. I buy it. He's just evil. But Miraz Espinoza had satanic imagery tattooed on his body, including a 666 behind his ear. So obviously that's going to make people be like, oh my God, the mark of the beast. (laughs) The mark of the beast. No, I think that was just like, yeah. I think that's just something people do to be like, yeah, I'm so hardcore. I'm so So metal. Cray cray. Yeah, I don't think this was... You don't think it was? I don't think this was Satan. What if I told you that the police also found the Satanic Bible at the crime scene? Okay. (laughs) Changed your mind a little bit? I mean, it is pretty damning evidence. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty damning. Also, weirder things have happened. Sure. And I don't, you know, it's just a lot. 
it's, it is. It's, that really is it. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot. I don't know what it is. It's just a lot. Well, he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, which like, That's I good. know we have the to life, but 25 years to life. I'm how about, I'm like, how about just life? Yeah. I hope he's on like the farther end of that. For real. The deputy district attorney also told the LA Times, this crime was not in the heat of passion or rash and impulsive. It was done for the purpose of devotion. That's pretty much the ultimate sacrifice. I do kind of think in this case, it was like really easy for them to just say that this was satanic because this person was like obviously very troubled if they could do this. And then I think they had the help with the tattoo and the Bible being there. Well, that's the thing. I think he checked all the boxes of what, you know, society deems to be like an evil person who probably worships the devil. Like quote unquote fits the mold. Exactly. And I think... It could be a, it could be that this was a ritual and he was thinking he was not a Satanist because that's not what they do. But well, like, that's the thing. That's, that's the what thing. I was going to say. Like the Satanic Bible does not say like hang plastic and that's, remove your mother's organs. That's what's shocking to me. And it's like or he could have done that to lead them into believing that this was what he was doing it for. And he was actually just doing it because he's evil. Well, and who's to say he ever even opened that book? He could have just thrown that out there because he's like, cool, they'll think it's just... I I won't get all the blame for this. Right, exactly. Satan will take some of it. Four. Landing at number four this week is the Order of the Solar Temple. Joseph DeMambro and Luc Jaure founded the group in the early 80s, using some of the greatest hits most cults use, including Talk of the Apocalypse and the Reincarnation of Jesus. The two men also brainwashed members and turned them into victims of financial and sexual exploitation. Before long, murder made its way into this group, and by 1997, 74 members of the Order of the Solar Temple were dead. Joseph DeMambro and Luke Shore did that cult leader thing where they convince people they're somehow connected to a spiritual past. Of course they did. Yeah, they were just like, ah, here we are. The first versions of this group began in the late 70s in Switzerland, actually. Ooh. After several variations of the group, the Order of the Solar Temple is what became the final name in 1990. I want to know what the other versions are and why they decided to go with the Order of the Solar Temple. I want to know what, like, the evolution... Like, you know how there's, like you know, things where you can see the evolution of, like, Jason Voorhees' mask yes, throughout yes. the series. Yep. I want to see the evolution of that name until 1990. Like, why didn't you guys shorten it, like, just a bit? It doesn't necessarily roll off the they tongue. They love a long name. They do. Cults. They love it. They do. So, members were required to give up their monetary assets to the group and follow their strict rules. As soon as somebody wants to take <laughs> all your you. money, just, like, run the other way with your money. Yeah, that's just, like, I, I understand, like, maybe at first you're like, wow, this sounds cool. And then they're like, you need to give me everything. That's when you go, oh, man, oh, you almost had me. See you later. Doesn't like, sound cool anymore. I kind of like my money. That's where it's got to end. They also used smoke and mirrors to help keep the members believing, obviously. One member, Tony Dutois, was used by the group's founders to help create illusions using devices hidden within the group's sanctuaries. So they really went, that's insane. It's it's exactly like in The Wizard of Oz, like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> really like, that's is. literally what it is. It's like, I'm just over here. Like, don't pay attention to that. Just look at the hologram. Like what? Well, Tony couldn't keep it up. He let the secret out. Joseph DeMambro and Luc Jaure were clearly not happy with this. Yeah, because you're not supposed to look at the man behind the curtain. You're not supposed to. In 1994, the downward spiral really began. DeMambro and Jaure declared Tony's child the Antichrist. Oh. And had Tony, his wife, and the baby <gasps> murdered. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that seems logical. What? I didn't even actually know that. So Tony messes up. They declare his infant child, the Antichrist, and kill it. I did not know that. And his wife and him. They just like literally annihilated a family. That's an overreaction. Because they were mad. Yeah, it's outrageous. Now, hours after that murder, a Swiss chalet was set on fire. Firemen arrived and found over 20 bodies lying on the floor in the shape of the sun, wearing ritualistic robes. Most had been shot. Yeah. In the shape of a sun. 
It's not the time what? to do arrangements. I see this lab like imagine coming onto that scene as an investigator. No. You're just like, what? What? is happening here. It's like a scene out of Hannibal. No, that would be so dark. You know what that, you know exactly what this is. That's something you see in a Lifetime movie and you're like, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, and you're like, no, that wouldn't happen. Right. And it did. Well, then a farmhouse in Switzerland that was owned by the Order was set on fire as well. Inside that building were more bodies of members who had overdosed on drugs. The bodies of founders Joseph DeMambro and Luc Jaure were found in the second fire and crime scene. So this is just getting wilder and wilder. It seriously is. And imagine they were probably like, are we going to find something else? Yeah, like what else is going to happen When does this end? Where does it end? Where's the light here? In 1995, so a year later, another mass suicide, this time in France. More bodies dead from gunshots and, you know, or drugs, all lying in the shape of a sun. Oh, that's just like so freaky. So ominous. To find that once is something. To find that twice is no. like, uh. And in 1997, Quebec, a fourth fire in the discovery of more bodies. There were now a total of 74 members of the Order of the Solar Temple dead. That's a lot of people. But there are clear doubts that at least some of the members who died may not have taken their own lives since they were all drugged or shot. Yeah, I doubt that. Yeah, all of this them was did. 100% some murder happening. It's been reported that it's possible there are still active members today. No, thank which you. Is no, a thank big you. No. no. That's the hugest nope. Three. Number three on our countdown of suspicious occult crimes is the Narco-Satanists. Their leader, Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo, grew up around the Santeria religion that we mentioned earlier. Santeria is a combo of different beliefs that usually includes making offerings to the gods, like food. But once Constanzo became an adult, became a major drug dealer, and formed the Narco-Satanists, his offerings would become human sacrifices, something he believed would make him invincible. Spoiler alert, it did not. What? It's crazy. That no. didn't work. What? I've been wondering this whole time. Is, it, is anything good coming out of any of this? No. no. Well, Constanzo grew up in Miami in the 60s and 70s. His mother practiced Santeria, which was his introduction. Neighbors complained of dead animals being left on their doors after confrontations with the family, though. Um, cursing your neighbors is not cool or allowed. No, you really shouldn't do that. Just like, don't. As an adult... Constanzo allegedly started studying Haitian voodoo and Pela Mayombe, which is a religion originating from the Congo River Basin. With Pela Mayombe, there's an element where a ceremonial cauldron is used for offerings that usually includes animal bones. But Pela Mayombe followers have also been blamed for robbing graves for human remains. Oh. Yeah, so it just got like really dark really fast here. Yeah, it really escalated. So jump to the late 80s, things have escalated a lot more. There you Big go. Big time. Constanzo was running a full-on death cult on the outskirts of Matamoros, a Mexican city directly across from the Texas border. Oh, no big deal. Yeah, you know. It's a full-on death cult. Just right there. It was a town known for attracting college kids, especially during spring break. When college student Mark Kilroy went missing, the search led them to the ranch where Constanzo was operating his cult. The uh -oh. ranch was owned by a family known for trafficking tons of drugs and Constanzo had become the on-site high priest. Now, many in the drug trade in that area, including cartels, had been going to the cult thinking the human sacrifices helped protect them from police and bullets. Wow. Like, isn't this just the biggest mess you've ever heard? Especially thinking that, like, murdering people is going to bring you good luck. Uh, yeah, like, I don't like, I ever feel like think that's, that's going to happen for anybody. I feel like that's bad karma. Yeah, like... That's just me, though. But I guess they don't believe in karma. They believe in, like, something else. That's, like, bad. Just as bad everything. Just bad everywhere. I don't think good luck is coming from that. Well, it's not, because police made some gruesome discoveries at the ranch, including 15 bodies that had been ritualistically killed, including Mark Kilroy. Oh, there was also, according to Rolling Stone, a shack on the property where they found an iron kettle, maybe similar to a cauldron used in Palo Mayombe, with, quote, wooden spikes, a charred human brain, and a roasted turtle. 
I've never heard those three things put in a sentence together. Have you ever heard of a roasted turtle? Have not. Horrible. That's horrific. The whole entire thing is just like way too much to even wrap my brain around. The shack was also covered in blood and filled with even more horrific things. As Rolling Stone reported, quote, one witness described the scene as a human slaughterhouse. Oh my gosh. It sounds like it. Yeah, that's all I'm picturing. Yeah. Constanzo went on the run, but eventually was killed in a shootout with police. And the Mexican police were so unnerved by the shack, they burned it down and laid a cross on the ashes. That's probably a good idea. I'm not you gotta even, do what like, you gotta do. religious, really, no. but I would do that, too, I feel like. I would do something. Yeah. How is that not number one? Oh, just wait until we get to number one and you'll, like, realize, but... Still, I I think like probably I I don't know what you have for number two, but three, two, and one I'm guaranteeing could be tied for number one. Yes, I would definitely say that. Ooh, I'm I'm excited? Question mark. For I number am. One. I am nervous I'm to nervous, even deliver yes. it. You know what? Nerves. Nervous. That's I'm how I feel. I'm also wondering who you're gonna have next. I'm gonna tell you. Okay. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of suspicious occult crimes. At number two is Elise Paler. Elise was only 15 years old in 1995 when she was killed by three of her classmates. The trio had a heavy metal band and said they needed to perform a sacrifice to Satan so they'd be able to play the guitar better. It also led to Elise's parents unsuccessfully suing the band Slayer, citing their music as influential to the murder, and around 20-plus years to life in prison sentences for all three killers. At least we know there's that going into this. Yes. Now, trigger warning for this one, there are graphic descriptions of sexual violence in this one, specifically necrophilia. Just trigger warning. Yeah, we covered this case on Morbid, and it was a tough one to get through. It's a tough one. In July 1995, three teenage boys lured Elise to a eucalyptus grove where they strangled, stabbed her, and left her to bleed to death. Which is just... Whenever you hear that somebody's just left to bleed to death... No. Just helpless by themselves, that's always the most nightmarish thought. And I feel like a eucalyptus grove should be, like, Like one of the most... Yep, peaceful, just, like, beautiful places. And it's just such a, like, stark, like, contradiction, you know what I mean? Yes. Now, the autopsy revealed she had been stabbed at least 12 times. After she died, all three teenagers raped Elise's corpse. In March 1996, one of the teens, Royce Casey, started feeling some guilt. Yeah, good. That's probably about time. Yeah, I'd say so. He confessed to police and led them to Elise's body. Casey told police that they picked Elise as their sacrifice because she was blonde with blue eyes and a virgin. Like, where do they find this stuff? Like, seriously. What? This is, she was also someone that they, like, hung out with before this. Like, they literally used to hang out. What? Yeah, exactly. It's not, it would be bad enough if it's a stranger or somebody you don't really know, but it was actually an acquaintance. Right. The district attorney's chief investigator testified that when he questioned Royce Casey about why they did it, he said, quote, It was to receive power from the devil to help them play guitar better. That is just the, like, the dumbest of the dumb. Now, the investigator said, quote, By making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, they would gain more craziness or nuts, as he said. That would make them play harder, play faster. And by making this perfect sacrifice to the devil, it might help them go, quote, professional. Yeah, or you'll get caught for murder and spend the rest of your life in prison. This is just so wild to me. All three killers had conflicting accounts, ranging from Slayer's music being influential to an obsession over Elise. So none of them can even keep their story straight. Right. While he had been denied parole in the past, in March 2021, Royce Casey was granted parole. But in July 2021, California Governor Gavin Newsom reversed that parole decision. Thank you, Mr. Gavin. Thank you for that. This is also what um, Jennifer's body was a little bit influenced by this case. Yeah. Yep. Because they sacrificed to play guitar better. That's like the... I just can't... There's no good reason to sacrifice anybody, but that is like... 
when you see it in the movie, you're like, that is absurd. Like, no one would ever real. do that. Of course. And you, when you realize that this actually happened, it's beyond. And it's just so sad. Like, I can't imagine hearing that as her parents. No. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 suspicious occult crimes, the Ripper Crew. Oh, yes. In the early 80s, this alleged satanic gang cruised around Chicago neighborhoods, kidnapping women and ritualistically killing them. They'd then cut off their breasts to take back to their satanic chapel. But this case exemplifies the biggest questions of all when it comes to cases like this. Why are they doing this? And what is anyone actually achieving in these disgusting murders for Satan? So this is how it began. May 15, 1982, 21-year-old Lorraine Borowski was making her way to work at a real estate office, just like super normal morning. Yeah. It was a very short distance between her home and the office. And as she pulled out her keys to unlock the office doors, she was grabbed and pulled into a van. So she's just doing something she's done every single morning and then from behind somebody grabs her and shoves her in a van like and that's literally everyone's worst nightmare can you imagine how terrifying that would be i i can't even fathom it no and then this is so ominous the only thing left where she was standing were her high heels and office keys just lying on the sidewalk oh and you just think like they probably grabbed her so aggressively like without her realizing it that her Mm -hmm. shoes just flew off or even that like she dug her heels into the ground maybe like it's it's just so scary Now, Lorraine's body was found five months later, on October 10th, 1982. It turned out Lorraine was the second victim of the soon-to-be-named Ripper Crew. They were named that because of the violence and the treatment of their victims' bodies. It resembled those of Jack the Ripper, which, if you don't know Jack the Ripper, his killings were gruesome. To say the least. The bodies were disfigured so badly, and some had their organs removed. Now, their victims' body parts were reportedly then taken to the gang leader's house, Robin Gecht. What's with Robins? I know, right? Like, tied to occult crimes. That is weird. Now, Gecht's attic was called the Satanic Chapel, allegedly. No, it's called the attic. It's just the attic. Well, and the gang used the parts from their victims in Satanic rituals. Jeez. Like, here's the thing, though. What are we, like, what are they gaining from these rituals? That's what I've been thinking this entire time. I'm None like, of them escape conviction because they're on the list. That's the thing. I'm like, you all ended up in jail. Yeah, or we're going to. Exactly. And it's like, none, as far as I know, none of you like flew. No, not, so I've never I heard that reported. I don't think anything came out of this except bad luck. And I also think 90% of them were like lying if they said it had anything to do with Satan. Of course they were. I don't believe any of these people. You're just evil. Evil lies within you. Yeah, this is just you being a bad person. It has nothing to do with an outside force. No. Good try, though. But cute. Cute try. Now, after Lorraine's abduction and murder, the Ripper crew may have kidnapped and killed close to 20 victims. Jeez. Though, like most serial killing, the exact numbers are hard to confirm. Which is crazy. And most of these victims had parts of their body removed. But then there was a break in the case. We have a survivor. Yeah, we do. On October 6, 1982, the crew attacked an 18-year-old woman who thankfully survived. She was able to give them a description of her assailant, and she gave them a description of the reddish-orange van that they'd been cruising around Chicago in and kidnapping people. What a gross van, too. What a, a reddish-orange van. van. Why? Like, I'm happy that they're this stupid, but you're doing this in a red-orange van. Yeah. I that mean, screams, that's... look at me, I'm creepy and bright. Yeah, that's a lot. I can't. Now, her help actually led authorities right to the gang members. Get it. A couple of the gang members gave up the details to the police about their crimes, saying they usually committed them while under the influence of drugs and alcohol. Of course, because it's by no means could this be any of your faults in any way, shape, or form. It's either Satan, or it is drugs, or it (laughs) is alcohol. alcohol. It's It's never you. Yeah, it's not just you. It's never that you're just a crap human. You're not just a turd. It can't be that. No, never that. Well, that would explain why, though, according to the police, the men couldn't remember all of their victims. I don't believe it. I don't believe that either. And that's why the total number of people they may have killed is not fully known. They're just not telling you. It's just really sad. Now, by the late 80s, all four men had been convicted of their crimes and sent to prison. In 1999, a member of the Ripper crew was executed by lethal injection. 
Wow. Right. So that's so. probably not what they were aiming to do when they sacrificed people yeah, to see, Satan. That's why I feel like karma exists. Yeah. Not Satan. Not not sacrificing things to Satan. No. Now, unbelievably, in 2019, one member was paroled and is now a free man. I hate that a lot. That's horrific. I hate that a whole lot. Like, you looked at that case and you were like, yeah, parole. You, I'm yeah. sure you've changed. Probably not a danger to society at all. Nope, I think you always no. will be. Luckily, the other two remain behind bars. Personally, for this case... I don't think this had anything to do with Satan. I literally think these guys were just jerks and that they all found each other and that they wanted to terrorize the Chicago streets and terrorize women. Yeah, and I think Robin Gecht just liked that whole power thing where he was like, yeah, definitely, let's kill people so I can get power and then I'll hand that power to you guys. It's all just like toxic... Like, masculinity like too much it's just like toxic behavior of like a power hungry person that's all it is no it really is. i don't think he believed he was going to get any kind of magical power out of it no. i think he knew he had authority over these dudes yeah so he liked it and then they liked being part of something and they were all evil and i also think he had an attic and they were like oh we could say that it's our satanic chapel yeah let's just call it the satanic chapel no it's the attic i don't think that was real at all i i think it was an attic it's the third floor get yeah. out of here I definitely have to agree with the podcast research gods. Number one was number one. Number one was number one. But number three, two, and one, like I said, when we were like, before I knew what number two was, and then you said it, I was like, oh yeah, these are all tied for number one, I feel. I would definitely say that. These were tough to to rank. They were, for sure. all of these seemed like they could just all be thrown in a pot as number one. Oh yeah. I can't think right now of anything that was left off, but I guarantee you we probably could do like a second part to this. Oh, for sure. I just can't think of them because I think these were definitely like the heavy hitting ones. Yeah. But I'm sure there's ones that we're just not thinking of because I feel like everybody at some point tried to blame Satan the made devil. me do it. Like every single person. They yeah. all try it at the end. They all try to blame something. They'll blame yeah. religion. They'll blame like porn. They'll yep. blame like Ted like, Bundy. They'll blame music, anything. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you're here at the end, here we are. You can follow our podcast, Morbid, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. And we hope you keep it weird until next Monday and don't sign your name in any books. Yeah, not that weird. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Fact checking by Adriana Romero. Research by J.K. Heo. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. You aren't supposed to know about them, unless they want you to. Powerful groups with their own very specific agendas. And if you find yourself on the inside, good luck getting out. Hi, I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Join us every Tuesday for our new Spotify original from Parcast, Sinister Societies. Whether it's doomsday predictions, deadly greed or world domination, Each week, we're exposing the beliefs and actions of the most ominous organisations the world may or may not have known. Follow Sinister Societies free and only on Spotify.